666. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife, but it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on nightmare time. So let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And we are here today to talk about planes, trains, and apocalypses. That's right. We are closing out 2020, and we are closing out our end of days month, December, with two apocalypse-tastic horror movies. I think you wrote this title in your brain before you realized that there was a plane in either of these movies. Okay, so real talk here. I'm I'm really celebrating this week because I have been forcing this title upon John for the better part of a month. And I've been wearing him down and wearing him down and wearing him down. He's like, no, we're not doing it. Doesn't well, it make just, any sense. And I'm like, it's- it, does, it didn't. It didn't <laughs> until we watched these movies, it's- because in my mind, it's just trains. There's just trains. And apocalypse. And apocalypse. Two but, for three. But no planes was the thing. There there were no planes. This tri- title didn't make any sense. And I, I, I guess I was just reactively being anybody online who was accusing us for being misleading in our title. But... Kim came out on top with this one. There is 100% a plane in Snowpiercer, and it has an integral part to the plot, which, you know what? I've just realized we don't talk about it all in this episode. <laughs> but planes aside, it is one of our best puns ever. So I'm, I'm just celebrating the fact that I wore you down enough to make it our official title of the week, and I'm very excited. Congratulations, Thank Kim. you. Was this the highlight of your year? It's the highlight of my 2020. I'm happy that we ended on a high note for you. <laughs> But true story, 2020, holy crap, what a year. Weird. I know you're probably hearing these sum-ups from everyone where they're like, well, coronavirus, we've been in our house for 12 months. But, like, we have. It's been weird. Nightmare on Film Street, obviously something that we've been doing now for four years. You've invited us into your homes every other week, every week, whenever we drop an episode. And it has been really, really cool to have this space, particularly during the craziness that was 2020, John and I have not left Canada this year, which is really weird. Normally, we're on the road a bunch, and we're doing film festivals, and we get to meet a bunch of you, and we didn't get to do that this year. Which... I barely left my liquor cabinet this year. Let's be real. <laughs> I barely left my pajama pants this year. Um, but we had so much fun with Nightmare and doing all of the stuff that we were doing beforehand, the podcast, the website, uh, the social media and stuff, but we've introduced a lot of new stuff. We've been doing interviews uh, virtually through Zoom, and we've been releasing them as Nightmare Alley episodes, which was new for us, the live streams and the watch parties and the game nights that we've been doing with the Fiend Club and even just throwing them on Twitter to whoever wanted to join us. Like, that has been such a blast and honestly has been, like, such a saving grace for me being a social human this year because I haven't seen anybody. And honestly, like, just chatting with you guys and playing games and when we played One Night Ultimate Werewolf and, like, all that stuff was so much fun and made me forget the fact that I have been drinking in my basement for six months. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, totally. The trade-off with having film festivals closed down, borders closed down, but giving us the opportunity to actually hang out and have fun with people that we interact with, like, you know, in, in in a passing way online, like, suddenly we're having full conversations with people that we've, you know, quote unquote known for years but never really like took the time to talk to has been has been a blast we've made a bunch of new friends 
which is kind of what we've always wanted to do with film festivals anyway. For us, a lot of it is the social aspect of meeting people who love films and love chatting about films. And we've been able to do that virtually this year, which has been so much fun. And speaking of which, if you're listening to this when the episode drops, it's New Year's Eve, possibly New Year's Day. If you're a little hungover and you're listening to this afterwards... Uh, we are doing a watch party right now. Yeah, come over and join us at Scener. Talk with us about your favorite movies. Watch movies with us. See in live time. Us becomes zombies deprived of sleep trying to intro a movie without sounding like a crazy person. (laughs) Yeah, so from 12 noon Eastern time on December 31st, when this episode drops, to 12 noon Eastern time on New Year's Day, we're going to be watching movie after movie after movie marathoning them we'll be chatting along to the movies we'll be doing fiend club giveaways and we'll be doing introductions as well as some fun trailers and pre-shows that john has set up yeah it's a 24 hour ish horror movie marathon it's definitely not going to be less than 24 hours i have a feeling it might go over which is probably going to hurt we're pressing play on the last movie of the stream at like 11 15 like oh shit we're going two hours over the time on this one but whatever we are going to be streaming movies from netflix and shutter and amazon prime uh, i've compiled a list of movies that are available in both canada and the united states so at the very least we have most of north america covered um probably going based on the based on the list that i've looked at probably mostly going to be a shutter day is what <laughs> i'm thinking like the the, the real primo content is over on shutter so you will need you will need access to those streaming platforms uh, at the very least a Shutter account and yes like Kim said I will be putting together some some fun little pre-show uh, interstitials some trailer reels that we're going to be playing intermittently throughout the day I found a bunch of like old Y2K content um, I found a bunch of weird New Year's countdowns from the 80s from the 50s just a whole bunch of nostalgia for a day that is no different than others, except we all get drunk and count down from 10 to 1. I'm so excited. <laughs> and that, obviously, that's going to be completely free. Join us. You can drop in. You can stay the whole dang 24 hours if you want. And that is at scener.com slash podcast. That is S-C-E-N-E-R dot com slash podcast. 12 noon, the 31st to 12 noon, the 1st Eastern Standard Time. And like Kim mentioned, it is free and available for absolutely anybody to join us. Uh, it's just a fun little piece of entertainment to to occupy your time on New Year's uh, because, you know, you may have, you may be the kind of person that likes to go out every year and see friends or just see strangers and have a good time. But that is impossible to do this year for many reasons. <laughs> and and you, sensible not to do. Yes. We would encourage you to not do anything but to sit at home on your butt and watch movies with us. We're not hosting it for any sort of charity, although we probably could have done that if we had a plan a little further ahead. But, you know, uh, you know, more than any other year, I think we all just need something to occupy us uh, in, in the dark hours of the night and, and also the long hours of the day. So, uh, we, you know, we've been putting this movie marathon together uh, in hopes that it's just something fun for you to enjoy uh, at a time where... Things are completely out of the ordinary. Like, holy shit, has the holidays just been, like, the weirdest fucking time. Like, every, every single week of this pandemic is weirder than the previous week. And some <laughs> and somehow the last week has been the weirdest week of the year. 
Uh, it's, it's definitely been one of the hardest weeks to get through. Um, and, you know, if, if you're just looking to blow off some steam or turn off your brain, that's exactly what we want this movie marathon to be. That's kind of what we've always wanted this podcast to be. Nightmare on Film Street in general has always been a destination for escapism. We wanted you to, we want this to be fun, enjoyable, free content for you to consume, to distract you from anything that you need distracting from. Yeah, even if it's just the drive to work or a workout. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not I'm not trying to say that we're doing some sort of vital service for the community <laughs> or anything, but like I think people need that. And this year especially, more than ever, people have needed that. Uh, I, I know just making this content has essentially been the distraction that I have needed throughout this year. Uh, and, you know, like Kim said, I, I, I do want to thank you so much for joining us on this ride, for being with us throughout this year. But if Nightmare on Film Street is something that was important to you in 2020, I want to I want to encourage you to consider supporting Nightmare on Film Street. Nightmare on Film Street is 100 percent listener supported. We've always been a free podcast. We're, we're going to always remain a free podcast but it does it does cost very real money to run it. There are a lot of expenses associated with Nightmare on Film Street, but it is all very worth it in the end because we can get together and we can discuss the films we love, which is has been more important this year than any other year in my life. And I, I really, really mean that. And, you know, if Nightmare on Film Street was something that was important to you this year, something that made your life a little easier or a little better, I would really encourage you to consider supporting Nightmare on Film Street or becoming a member of the Fiend Club at nofspodcast.com slash Fiend Club. Every, every dollar that you pledge to us goes back into creating more content for you and, and helping you know keep the lights on in the office and keep the, the, the nightmare alive. And not only will you become a patron of the arts, a supporter of independent horror, but there are an incredible amount of perks and bonus content available to you by becoming a Fiend Club member. In fact, Kim just made these really kick-ass brand new Fiend Club member cards. We even have temporary tattoos now. Join the gang, support your favorite podcast at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. It's occurring to me now, actually, that we haven't talked about what movies we're discussing on the podcast today, and we're also getting a quick little visitation by the the New Year pug. <laughs> the, we... the NOFS third member. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear it. Footsie McGee! Yeah, clicking around in the background here. <laughs> She's the podcast manager. Come to tell us to wrap it up. Like, <laughs> all right, okay, fine. So today on the, on the podcast, we're going to be discussing Train to Busan and Snowpiercer. Trains. Yes. <laughs> Trains, a surprise cameo appearance from a plane. <laughs> and apocalypses. And apocalypses. Um, but it is it is a relatively long episode today, actually, so uh, I think we're just going to leave it at that. And we're going to start the Planes, Trains, and Apocalypses discussion with Train to Busan. Oh, <laughs> 
Train to Busan is currently sitting at a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, 72% on Metacritic, and 3.9 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Good for this movie. Oh yeah, now universally appreciated movie, I think. I think the horror community just loves a good cry every now and again. You know, no one wants to talk about it. But we do. (laughs) We love a good cry. There's something about a a horror movie that's got a lot of heart that is just like, fuck yeah. Yeah, well, and it's very hard because you have to kill all your characters. And I mean, I guess maybe that makes it easy to pull at heartstrings because you you can just pull the death card and then everybody's sad. Well, you just, you build up love for them and then you're just like, guess what? That's the hard thing though, making characters empathetic is no easy feat especially like there's a language barrier half of well all of your american audience is reading captions so a lot of their their visual absorption of the film is compromised to the bottom chunk of the screen man that's the worst like a big emotional moment because like you you read what the person is saying and then and then you look up at their eyes you're like oh god (laughs) (laughs) they're crying i'm crying (laughs) i cried so hard at this movie like my eyes were blurry and i couldn't get all the lyrics to that fucking song at the end which was maybe to my benefit because like this movie hurt me (laughs) yeah i mean this movie devastated me when we first watched it and like it's still just as hard. And like I remember all of the emotional beats of this movie. So even when we're like first introduced to characters, like specifically that- You just remembered like the end. Yeah. Like, no. Oh, like, yeah. no, what are you talking about? This is great. Yeah. <laughs> like all of like the scenes that's just supposed to be like fun little, like, oh, they're pregnant and it's funny or it's thrilling and dangerous. Like the whole time I was like, oh God, he's going to say that little girl's name soon. Like I, <laughs> I, I know all the spots that made me cry the first time and it still works. Fuck this movie. <laughs> I know. It's a weird feeling because the end of this movie is just like, that was perfect. I hate this movie. <laughs> well, I come up against that sometimes because it's, and in this movie in particular too, where I got to like a part in the second act, actually kind of in like the third act when we're at that final train station and uh, in Busan. And <laughs> I, I was like, man, this kind of like lags a little bit. And like, I feel like this is a little boring for a climax. And then all of a sudden I'm crying and five stars. And it's like, <laughs> did it did it earn it or did it just pull emotion out of me? Five fucking stars. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, let's let's start at the beginning because I think what really gets underappreciated in this movie, because it is such an emotionally impactful film, is how great the fucking pandemic, for lack of a better term, is set off. The oh, zombie yeah. pandemic. The zombie infestation. When we first see with that fucking deer. Oh, the fucking deer. The dead deer deer in the road. It is the most wonderful. I know it's a little CGI-y, but 
the movement of it and the the crinkling bone sound of it getting back up. Yeah. It's so perfect. It's got them crazy goat eyes. Oh, so and uh, like to see the, the the deer with the the white at whited out eyes. There's yeah. there's something so ethereal ethereally eerie about it. <laughs> and it's in like a wildernessy setting. Like it's a beautiful shot. And it's a it's a roadkill thing. I don't know. There's something really natural about it, but the the zombie element to it is just so just terrifying. And it also, I mean, it sets up the 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 look of the zombie, the eyeballs, which also come back and have like such good emotional resonance, like later in the film. But yeah, I uh, I really 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 enjoy and appreciate how the early days of the zombie apocalypse are presented in this because it's all through glimpses and just like, the early days of the zombie apocalypse in train to busan is like the first 20 minutes <laughs> yeah not not and i don't just mean the first 20 minutes of the movie i mean the first 20 minutes of the infestation <laughs> this is a this point. is a quick and the beginning of a, of a train trip to the end of a train trip is just catastrophe. Oh, yeah. Apocalypse level catastrophe. Yeah, we go from a quiet business morning, like maybe something, oh, there's a fire happening in that building. That's strange, to just full out apocalypse in the, the, the time span of one commute. You know, like yeah. that's it. That's all it takes. Which is perfect for a film if you think about the length of a film and the, and the train ride. Like, right? Because also a movie is just a, is a movie at the story at the center of a movie is just a destination. Like we got to go from here, like point A to point B, and we got to get people to notice a few things along the way. Yeah. And it, it really juxtaposes to the level of safety because you think like, oh, being on a train with like a, when a zombie gets on board is awful. But then... When they start stopping at other stops, like you find out that they're all, they're in a much better position than all, the rest of the world because they have this kind of level of containment. But something else great too about the setup before we move too far into it because it's 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 such a fast paced movie it's hard not to just be like and the zombies yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, what's so great is with the daughter she's a lot of our focal point in the very early pandemic stages and she witnesses a lot of weird behavior that the adults just don't see yeah. and there's something so perfect about her just seeing like some guy take a guy down as the train's leaving well and and also the you see a crowd of people that are sort of like looking at something that's happening Up in above. Front of them, like a like fight on the, yeah on like, like the ground level but you just wouldn't ex- it, it's just out of the norm like and it's just it's it's weird enough that you go What's going on there? But oh, gotta catch the train. Yeah, like, right? Yeah. You gotta go. Yeah, and she the fact that she doesn't say anything to her dad be, because of the strain in the relationship, whatever, but there's there's something so perfect about that because as a kid, she knows she's not gonna be believed. Like, hey, there's this guy just got tackled by another like, dude. Yeah, 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 okay, whatever. Like, So she doesn't even bother. Because as far as the, an adult would be concerned, like, oh yeah, you know, occasionally people get into fights in the real world. Occasionally people are weird and strange. Like, it's no big deal, whatever. Yeah, and the, the daughter, Suan, is just this independently curious girl. Early on in the train trip, dad falls asleep. She gets up because some some strange guy's gotten on board and she just goes to investigate it. She doesn't tell her dad. She just she just gets off on her own. Which which is so to her nature cuz she wanted to go to Busan on her own anyways. Yeah, that's so that's so true. And like you think of it just as like a like I, I hate you dad, let me go, see my mom, but I think it's just that she's confident to take care of herself, I guess. What's well, I mean, that's not even necessarily true, I think, because she wants her dad around, but her dad's not there. And like we see that in the 
in the 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 school presentation the the pageant that they're putting on and there's a song that she's supposed to have learned and grandma's there recording it and i don't the, even want to talk about but that dance. dad's not there <laughs> and because and she learned the song just for him and because he wasn't there she wasn't able to sing it so it's just like she's already lost faith in him she's already used to him not being around and she knows like well fuck it i'll just i, I can take care of myself mm-hmm. like if you're not gonna be there it doesn't matter like if you're not on the train it's just the same as when you're not at home or not at school when i need you to Oh, I'm so happy though and even this time watching it for for a second time I was so happy that he stayed on the train with her and he wasn't just dropping her off I was just so worried for their relationship at the beginning I was like please stay on the train like oh, one yeah. it's it's highly irresponsible whether or not there's a zombie apocalypse she was very very young but two I was just like for the sake of your relationship just take like do what he was doing taking your calls on the train like just like she's going to be bored and annoyed, but she'll remember when she's 15 that you really couldn't take the day off and you did. Yeah. I mean, but there's a zombie apocalypse, so that might be more pressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of, that's a, that's a trump card that gets thrown down on everything, right? <laughs> Man, they do such a good job. Like, like half the stuff that I've sort of like talked about as though it's like part of the beginning of the movie are all reveals you get at the end. Like her not being able to sing the song that she learned because he's not there. Like that, none of that is discussed in the beginning of the movie. We, ju- we just see the fractures in their relationship mm-hmm. at the beginning and then like we explore that in a little more detail as as time goes on. And, uh, and, and also Grandma is a great character in the movie and it's super sad. Like we only get a few minutes with her. Like we can see that like we can see that he's divorced and that they're trying to share custody of their daughter. But grandma is because he works so much. Grandma is basically there raising the daughter herself. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have as strong a relationship with this little girl because the little girl just wants her mom or her dad. I really don't think she cares. Like she just wants one of her parents in her life. And unfortunately there's this guy who, when, when I watch it, I, I, I figure he's throwing himself into his work too much. But I guess I'm not necessarily, I mean, hell, it's the same in America, too. It's just like, work your fucking ass off, provide for your family. That's your goddamn job. Like, it's a thankless job. There's a really great line. I think it's between the two dads, the dad-to-be and the dad, where oh, yeah. where he says something about that that the, the male role, the father role, is sacrifice. Yeah. And it's a thankless job until the very end. Yeah. In that. <laughs> the problem is that all of that comes. Oh, it's it. And like me, but having seen this movie before, like I know he's about to die. Yeah, so. no, it it comes full circle, but it it's really true in that that, I mean, traditional family roles, dads are expected to to provide like financially, and traditionally the status comes from the the father figure, and yeah, and it and he's in the business world, so it's it's all a matter of just like, hey, give me. A hundred percent of your life, and we'll pretend like you don't have a family that also needs you. Yeah, and and just to imagine like a high pressure job like that in in today's world, like I can't picture it because I like work from home right now, and well, and it's a pandemic too, so it's kind of weird. But uh, just having to be like high pressure on call like that twenty four seven because of you have a cell phone now, you're expected to. You know what I mean? Mm. It's just. It happens for silly jobs. Like, I was a retail manager, and I was expected to read my emails at, like, 2 in the morning. Yeah, like, fuck that. It's just bonkers. Yeah. A, a, just a, a type of job that was normally demanding is now probably insane. I remember people at my office job who would write emails at the end of the day and schedule them to send off at, like, midnight or 1 a.m. because they wanted 
everybody to think that they were working around the clock. And, like, realistically, they were anyway. Like, it's just, like, you're just doing some of the work ahead of time. And it's, I, I fucking hated them for it. Because, like, one, it you shouldn't a, have to do that. It sets a new expectation. Yeah, and if yeah. you do it, everybody's got to do it. And now all of a sudden, I'm I, I'm slacking off because I won't work till 2 a.m. for somebody else's fucking job. It's like, this is bullshit. Like, this is, I just come here to pay for groceries. I don't love you. You're not my family. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I I love all of the interactions between him and Mr. Kim, his assistant, uh, that that is constantly calling him while he's on the train to like give him an update. I I think it's also interesting too because they are one. It's a bit of exposition, like it gives us an idea of what's going on in the outside world. You know, like we need some answers. I guess like a zombie movie now doesn't really need any answers, but if it's your first time watching a zombie movie, like I'm sure you really appreciate that portion of it. But uh, I, I like Mr. Kim. Like, I think he's... And I I think also those phone calls really reveal a lot about Sukwu, the like our main character, Jerk Dad, as, as I like to refer to him. Um, because how he talks to Mr. Kim in those phone calls it obviously shows us a lot about him and how he's not necessarily as worried about the zombie apocalypse as he is worried about the stocks that are dropping. Uh, because their investors are pulling out because of some stupid riot that's happening. Uh, but also, you know, in the beginning of the movie, when there is concern that they ha- all of these um, investors want to pull out, he refers to them as lemmings. Yeah. And, like, that's, you know, whatever. That's cool. Like, you got a whole bunch of people that are scared. I mean, that's how stocks work. Yeah. But but also, more importantly, it's not just, like, a... a term that he used on the fly they're literally saying his phone phone, under the context of lemmings (laughs) like he's got a fucking folder for lemmings that he calls to for help at some point oh man like he's just he's just a shithead and i I think that's cool too because like he has to see that in his phone and go like oh wow i am kind of a prick i don't care about anybody yeah just to go back to your point about them finding their information out like on the phone and stuff it's great when they're seeing stuff on the TV and, oh, and yeah. like like news footage. Yeah, there's something so wonderful wonderful about seeing how different scenarios unfold for people. We've never seen something isolated like a train before with a zombie outbreak. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's such a unique per- perspective, and to only have tidbits of information before you realize that there the the outbreak is on your train is one it's a, it's terrifying to put yourself in their shoes but there's something magical about it it's a perspective you don't normally even envision yourself yeah and like everything would have gone totally fine if it wasn't just for one person who got on at the absolute last second right man it's good it's and it's not just like it's like some evil person who stepped in like i'm gonna fucking kill this train it was somebody who was scared and needed help and didn't know what was going on like somebody attacked them they were bit on the leg and they like thankfully made it to this train and everything's gonna be okay nope like a hundred percent nope yeah and fuck it spreads quick like it, what, what would you say? It's less than a minute from bite to... Oh, yeah. And it, it speeds up throughout the movie, too. Because it's like a virus that I, I assume is improving and getting better from mm. person to person. Because she was bitten and was able to, like, run into the train, get into the bathroom, try and clean the wound, bandage yourself. I think it's also a matter of, like, where you get bit. Like, if you get bit on the neck, like, in a main artery, it's mm. going to spread a lot yeah, faster. Yeah, that, that makes sense. The degradation of the disease, too, is really wonderful because 
it isn't like most zombie diseases where it just, it kills you and then you're a zombie. It's almost like you fade out as the zombie Fuck yeah. fades in. Like, yeah. you see characters grappling with it almost instant instantaneous like they only get a sentence sentence or two of like losing memory and losing self and their eyes are already foggy but they're still in there a little bit man it's, that's crazy it's weird there's a weird blurring between am i a human being and am i this zombie they really play it up too in the fucking end of this movie oh with the <laughs> with the main villain he he has this really great pre-zombie moment where he's just like panicked and like please help me like like i don't know what to do and and it's because the ego i think the ego part of him has died and all that's left is like the scared person that he actually is like everything that motivates him is fear oh yeah and that's like the core of his being that's what makes him the most dangerous person on this i know but once that like big honcho ride or die business guy dies that's all that's left of him before he becomes a zombie. Like that's really fucking wonderful. He is he like the actor does an incredible job. Like that character is an absolute piece of shit. And Such a piece of shit. We're supposed to hate him, and like, good god, do I hate him? Like watching the movie, I'm just like, why is it have to be like this? Like why <laughs> couldn't why couldn't they have just written this character a little more sympathetic? But like it wouldn't work. <laughs> These you know? zombies suck at getting bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, because he's literally just. Pushing people. Oh. Like, oh, the whole end of the movie. It's like one character after another that you're happy to see survive. He's just like, <laughs> like, hey, zombies, take he him. He literally throws people under the bus. Man. <laughs> it's, it's a train, bad. but it's a bus. <laughs> it's rough. He's such a shithead. Um, and like, he is the reason I think I prefer these zombie movies where it's like day one outbreak versus the, say, train to Bazan peninsula where like oh the zombie apocalypse has been going for two years and here's what it looks like now that we're in this mad max world because every character's like that like everybody's an absolute piece of shit except for two or three people who are hiding and it's about trying to retain some humanity whereas yeah what i find with outbreak movies is they're like fighting against your worst and best instincts and you don't know what's going on yeah like there's a lot of really interesting juxtaposition in this movie between doing what's good and, like, doing what's morally right versus, like, saving your tail. Mm -hmm. And it's seen that not working with the group is bad, but there's also the presentation of the opposite and that, like, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. The 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 female train operator that goes to help the first woman... Oh, God. (laughs) She goes to help her because she's seizing and she has no idea and... She becomes the second person of the outbreak. It spreads from a lack of awareness, I guess. But throughout the movie, people are doing like extremely endangering things for the sake of helping another. Oh, yeah. Like once once we realize what's going on and like after we first like huddled up in a train car from that moment on, everybody that dies is pretty much because of some sort of valiant effort. Like, we're trying to save the the group. We're trying to save one person who's fallen down and like, oh, shit, didn't see zombies coming out of nowhere and they bite your neck, which yeah. sucks. Every time, it sucks. It's, it's probably best portrayed in the two uh, senior sisters. Oh my god. Because the the one sister is very empathetic. She's she's always thinking of others. The whole thing she's trying to give her younger sister her sandwich. Like there's a bunch of moments establishing her as this 
traditional granny figure. Yeah. Just full of empathy, thinking about others like she's a grandma. <laughs> yeah, she would give up her seat to a little girl on the bus or the yeah. train, right? Unfortunately, she is a victim of the pandemic and she becomes the most sympathetic looking zombie ever. Oh my God, we got like that whole horde of zombies that uh, are just like bre- trying to break down the train she's door. Not and even, one, she's, she's not no. even a, like a zombie as a zombie. No, she's, she's just like confused. Just like, oh, why do we have to eat everybody? Like, <laughs> it's, like it's almost like she's trying to talk everybody out of I it. I don't want to be pushing this door down. I like them. But the... This movie just like and like moments like that too, where like the movie just never misses an opportunity to hit you in the fucking chest with the emotional weight of every single person's life. <laughs> yeah, because well, the sister's death signifies to the other sister the value of, or maybe the lack of value with empathy, because her sister was punished for being empathetic with being eaten by a zombie. Yeah. And she's now with a group at that point who are fighting against empathy. They are suspicious of this group that has come to their train car who may or may not be infected, even though based on the progression of the disease, they're clearly not infected. And they're just, they're terrified and they're they're protecting their own. Yeah. They're acting very callous. And so she just opens the door and lets the zombies take them because of their lack of empathy. I think she also realizes that it's it's just a matter of time. Like, they are only always going to try and throw people under the bus, under the train, until they are standing on top of a pile. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they are all drowning and trying to scramble on top of each other to, to get They're that They're like last the zombies, gasp of air. which is yeah, wonderful. that's the other, like, they are no different. So she opens the fucking door, because yeah. they, they deserve it. And there's it's it's kind of just like putting what's already going to happen on Fast Forward. Yeah, and it's almost like she's trying to correct the balance of things. Like, yeah. Like, the, the zombie infestation took some of the wrong people, and so she's just... Trying to balance just retaining, the yeah. yeah, just keeping the, like, well, these people can't win because they're in the wrong. Which is really interesting. Because in the end of it, it is still like a you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Yeah. And like, just just before we move on from Granny, because like, that's like, that's her whole arc. Like the other moment of this movie that like, (laughs) this is where I was just like, oh shit, here we go. John's gonna cry. (laughs) Was when his mother, uh, the main character, Jerk Dad, when his mother calls uh, to basically say goodbye. (laughs) Like she's been bit and she's scared, but she also says... (laughs) She 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 essentially just says goodbye <laughs> is is what it comes down to, and he can hear her he can hear her turn over the phone, and as much you know his his daughter Suan is isn't listening. She can see in his face. She can know that it's grandma, and she's able to figure out that grandma's dead. You know, mm. and and then she gives up her seat to that that nice empathetic old woman because she's got a bad knee and she remembers that grandma also had bad knees and they always hurt her. And like we literally see a scene in the movie in the beginning where she gets up and it's a struggle for her because she's got a bad knee. Like it's not just something that like she says, it's something that we've seen, we've recognized and this little girl like observed it. Yeah, and just like is is aware that other people need help <laughs> and that other people are also also in bad positions like she gets on board with we need to help these people way sooner than her dad does well and i i would say too that he's faking at the beginning he's doing it because she's watching oh yeah. a lot of his decisions are made at least early on in the pandemic before he has his like character change yeah is because 
it's out of duty. It's out of setting an example for his daughter. So when he's first rescuing the, the homeless man, when he's stuck and there's a bunch of scenarios like that, he literally looks over his shoulder to make sure he's getting like good dad credit for it almost. <laughs> he, yeah, he'd be no different than business, like shithead businessman uh, from the end of the yeah, movie. Yeah, if his daughter weren't in the train oh, yeah. with him. Yeah. And like we see that too because they, you know, he has just narrowly escaped death. And he's he's closing the door to try and save everybody. And coming right in behind him is is a pregnant woman and her husband. And he just shuts the door on their goddamn face. Man, I'm so surprised that guy didn't punch him when he when he finally got the door open. He right? did open it though. Like, and in that moment, like I would even if I was the dude running, like I wouldn't even fault him for that. His daughter is next to him. There's such a fine line with protecting your own and helping others. Like it's Guys, these zombies are fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing, right? Like, these are not Night of the Living Dead zombies. Yeah, if it was Night of the Living Dead zombies, by all means, punch them in the fucking face. But they are fast-ass zombies. And also, too, they are like, what is it, Planet Z or zombie... World War Z? World War Z. Oh, oh, I love a good zombie spillover. Where, like, they they, 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 yes, <laughs> they like, pile on top of each other. They full-out horde, like, become globs of zombies, blobs of zombies, and they... And, and there's... It's 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 a perfect perfect prediction of of a zombie behavior because they have no no ego no empathy no you know what I mean like to to just climb on another zombie to get closer to the target is it, it totally practical that makes so much sense yeah it's like it's, when you watch ants like sort of like chain link each other together to make a bridge but yes. but without the actual like uh, communication like it's just it just happens yeah but and you see it there's there's some really good depictions of it when they're climbing on the train the the rogue train car at the end there's one like super fast definitely bodybuilder pre pre-death zombie who like panther runs on this horde of zombie and it's just like hands on heads and feet on shoulders just climbing up them oh man it's like parkour from beyond the grave yes undead parkour (laughs) if i had one criticism of this film sure and you know this is kind of a universal criticism for the month for the theme with apocalypse movies this is the same for for a lot of films for action films zombie movies are very bad for it and it's part of the reason why i have like this little aversion to zombie films mm. and i think train to Busan is a unique exclusion but it's not a- it's not absent of this issue it's actually pretty pretty big in the movie is that characters are put in too severe a situation or too perilous a situation that they, no matter what kind of plot armor they have, they would not survive. And so there's, you need to extend your disbelief and kind of just ignore the fact that characters are going to survive situations that they shouldn't. And that things work out conveniently well for them. I think the reason that's not, that's not entirely a problem in this movie is that people who don't deserve to die all die. Like, like that's true, but they do die in very convenient moments for their plot. This particular outbreak, there are scenarios where these characters are in such a severe situation that for them to get out of it, it just, you have to forgive the fact that they're the lead character. You know, like, for instance, when they, they get off of that that random station, mm-hmm. there's a point where the train has already started leaving. Most of the people are back on the train, but our three main male lead characters, the dad-to-be, yeah. the jock kid, and the main dad, 
are up in the atrium still. And there's a zombie infestation breaking through the atrium. There's already zombies on the platform. There's zombies getting on the train. And somehow they are able to get through, like, three different zombie hordes to get onto the train. Yeah, it's a lot. It's too far-fetched. I know we're talking about zombies, but apocalypse stuff in general, particularly the movies we were talking about a couple weeks ago, there's no way those characters would make it to the end. Of all the things that they come up with, they go through the gas station in the crazies only to have like a zombie take them out of the car and then a and then a military plane like bombs their car. There's just yeah, there's just too much extending of disbelief for me. And I think that might just be a personal preference. That might be why I'm more into like found footage type horrors and stuff that that feels really real because when I watch movies I really like to imagine myself in those scenarios I really like to put myself in those character shoes yeah and in every single zombie scenario I've ever watched I die in the first five minutes so it's just like I'm not even part of this movie <laughs> to be fair like I I come I come into zombie movies with a chip on my shoulder like in oh, regards yeah. to uh, how believable they're going to be and how safe the lead characters are going to be. Train to Busan does such a great job of of making beloved characters and setting it up so it almost feels video game-esque with like smaller obstacles leading to bigger obstacles yeah. that it doesn't bother me as much. Like I get lost in it. Like I love when they have to get from train car nine to train car 13 and then the final stop at train car 15. Watching them have to get through those four train cars and them doing a different thing each time. Like why are they doing a different strategy each time? They shouldn't be doing a different strategy each time, but I love it. I love the fact that the, the zombies don't see in the dark and the tunnel and they're they using luck the phone. In, they, they luck into it, right? Like it's because they're in the middle of a fight when they hit a tunnel. It's one wonderful though it, it, it's also great because it comes right after this fucking moment that y- even you were just like yeah for <laughs> where they're like okay after we leave the tunnel we you know that's when we start fighting our way through and like they're they're sitting in darkness they're oh waiting, it's so they're good huddling. the light comes up the camera's down low they step in they're fucking like guns out like ready to fight and the light hits them it's pretty wonderful yeah <laughs> so so those movie moments you're fine with. i love them <laughs> Train to Busan, again, yeah, like, we, I think we both came into this movie with a chip on our shoulder. Like, I really say Train to Busan is the movie that made me say that I will seek out new zombie movies even if I don't want to watch them. And that's that's true. It's so funny because zombie movies have been on your top list, I think, two out of the... Two out of the three to four years we've been doing this, your number one was Train to Busan, I think, the first year that we did this. Yeah. And last year, your number one was well, One Cut have, of the Dead. I think it might have been the year before, but yes, that's that's very <laughs> true. Zombie, And I think I credit Train to Busan for, for allowing my brain... <laughs> To give me permission to watch these movies. Because, like, you know, before that, I would have probably just skipped them. Like, even Night Eats the World, One Cut of the Dead. Like, I would have just said, Blood Quantum, all that stuff. Like, I would have just said, like, eh, I've seen it. Mm -hmm. And largely, that's true. There is some, there is still some creative takes in the zombie genre. And, like, I, I agree with you in that I overlook them. And it's... It's to my loss. Like, oh, yeah. Any, the last few zombie films we've watched, I've found something in them worth appreciating. Totally. And I, with, with Train to Busan, I think they, they, it's largely because they do such a great job 
grounding their characters in some sort of reality. They are all still the same sort of tropes that you would see in a zombie movie. There's even a pregnant woman. Like, every zombie movie's got a pregnant lady. Like, thankfully, her baby was not born a zombie. We would have seen that coming a million miles away. But there's the shithead who's going to throw everybody under the bus. There's characters who are, I gotta protect my daughter. There's an old woman. Like, there are all of these people who are just, like, too scared, too distraught, uh, too young, um, that, that you would always see in a zombie movie and still continue to see in zombie movies. Yeah. But they really do a great job of making them real people before the zombies come, and then they don't forget that they have to continue making them real people. Well, and there's something also, too, really great about zombie movies as a premise, and kind of like how we were talking about how how Host, the, the movie that came out this year, the the Zoom horror movie was the perfect setting for the pandemic because it it made everything real and it justified itself with zombie movies it's one of the most justified cases of having people from different walks of life all stuck together oh yeah because it's an easy format to tackle like classism and all types of different human-made aversions we have to each other, ageism, uh, sexism, racism, like, by forcing people to work together who would otherwise be ignored. Like, Train to Busan is no different. Like, we have seniors, we have a pregnant woman, there's a homeless man who who sneaks on the train and is disregarded by a lot of people in Mm -hmm. this very unsafe scenario. And it isn't until we kind of start to see the world through Suan, the daughter's eyes, that we realize that his life is just as valuable and he's a good person. Oh yeah, if they if they did not take the time to save his life, he would not have been there to save the lives of that pregnant woman and Suan at the end of the movie. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Like it's it's so good. All the characters are great and it takes uh, every opportunity it can to just rip your fucking heart out, including the the end of the movie which I don't want to talk about it. It oh. ends when they get to the other side of the train. <laughs> they get to the other side of the train and everybody lives. Yeah, so they get to Busan, the train is completely fucked. Pretty well everybody's dead. The conductor has left to go get like another caboose for them to just like <laughs> sail on into like safe harbor somewhere. And uh, our, our businessman is throwing people in front of zombies. Dad, the businessman kills everyone. He kills and absolutely and everybody, <laughs> right? Let's all the zombies out. Gets bit himself. Bites dad. So dad is injured trying to save his daughter's life and this woman's life who he promised to save. We didn't even, like, we glossed over. I mean, I mentioned it, but, like, when that fucking guy. I don't <laughs> even want to talk about it. Is holding off all the zombies and then says, like, he like, names their unborn daughter before, like, dying. Man. And he, too, you also see is bit and is, like, holding off a horde and you see his eyes change over and him slowly become a zombie uh. and like he's really fighting it the whole the whole fucking thing hurts the whole <laughs> thing hurts and then dad too like he's bit locks them in the caboose like takes the time to say like hey this is probably the break i'm not a train conductor but i think you should probably pull this when you need to hey i love you gotta go <laughs> you know we are then in his pov where we see him like holding on uh. to the, <laughs> to the I memory don't, of don't his daughter do being oh. born Man! And they I, got to the end and, of the train. And everything was fine. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll say the thing that I think, as much as I praise this movie for having all of those like really like huge emotional highs, I think they, they especially in the end, stretch it a little too much. Peninsula is even worse for it. Like the whole third act of that movie, like, hey, here's your emotional beat. Here's who you're supposed to care about. 
let's watch it in slow motion while everybody cries. <laughs> let's let's have a flashback of all of our fun moments together when we were a family. And they, they just, they stretch it a little too much for me. But um, I guess they need time for people to really just let it all out. There is, <laughs> well, there is a kind of a weird feeling because you think the goal is to get to the other side of the train. But once you're there, there's a huge obstacle there in that there's that group of people who are like, no, you might be infected. And there's this C- CEO dude who has no soul. But then also you realize like, oh, we can't actually get into Busan with this train. And yeah. the train tips over. And then we have to get the caboose. And then like, there's a whole other act after the end of the it's nuts. the train. And so you almost feel like, oh, I don't want to leave the train. This is our home. Yeah, it's it's weird <laughs> how you, like, you even as an audience member, like, I don't know. I think we should stay on train. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. No. I think we live on train now. <laughs> I think train? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, and like, she says to him, I don't even remember when she fucking said it about how, like, she couldn't sing that song. Like, she learned that song. She knew I don't want to talk words, about this she, song. <laughs> she learned it for him, and so she couldn't sing oh. it. And then after he sacrifices himself, because that's what dads do, you know, that's it. That's what it's all about, is sacrifice to save their lives, and they're walking toward that army base. And they're going to shoot them. They're going to shoot them, but, like, she doesn't know that they're there. Like, they don't know that the army people are there they're just walking through a tunnel they think they're just walking into like more apocalypse Ugh. and she sings that fucking song and it's the saddest goddamn thing i've ever heard and they're crying the whole time and you're crying the whole time and i'm crying right now <laughs> we're crying right now and that's what saves their lives though. i know and the fucking li- like like the lyrics of the song how dare you <laughs> Whew. it's a lot <laughs> it's so much yeah it's because unfortunately, I can't get the fucking song out of my head. I would like to meet somebody who made it to the end of that movie completely dry-eyed, not a single sniffle. Oh, just go to Letterboxd. You'd be, you'd be surprised. People you know and have met no. in person in real life are just like, yeah, I watched it again. I still don't see what's so great about oh, it. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't think I've cried harder in a movie. Like, I was doing, like, those full-out ugly inhales. <laughs> like, when you really cry. Like, I was like... <gasps> and that's that's what makes it so hard to rate this movie like is it is it great is it perfect or did i just end on me crying my eyes yeah that's is that all it is it's just like oh this movie figured out how to fuck my day up i was so mad at it when it started showing those baby flashbacks (laughs) how dare you how dare you Uh. Oh boy. Um. So before we get to ratings, is there a single moment or a scene or a visual that you want to call attention to that we didn't talk about? Like a favorite moment in the film? Sure. Um. There's like first off, like just them fighting through the fucking train is so kick ass, and like that's that's kind of been like the theme of this episode. But um, specifically, there is a moment where we are. We've got confidence. Like, we know how to fight these zombies. We've worked our way through two or three trains. No fucking problem. And then we go into train car 14, and it's all of the Varsity Kids buddies. Oh, <gasps> yes. That is such a good scene. Because, like, and, like, that's what I was talking about, how, like, they never forget that these characters have to make decisions that are important to them. And, like, things that really genuinely affect them personally. And he is stunned and frozen, and he doesn't know how to fight. Like, these are all his buddies. And, and then on top of that, like, his friends are dying beside him, and if he doesn't help, they're, one, they're going to die. That's going to be on him. And he's also going to die, too. 
His... Yeah, that's a really good moment. It's that's... such a good moment. Yeah, that's pretty dope. I'm trying to think of something other than saying the deer because I know we already talked about it. That's the thing, though, is like no one talks about that deer. But I love that fucking deer. Love that deer a lot. It's so, it's such a great tone setter. It's like, oh, it's so wonderful. It's going to be so hard to rate this movie. Right? Yeah. 3.75. I'm 3.75 too. (laughs) That's what I'm giving. Because it's just like, I want to give it a four, but I know it's not a perfect movie. Um... But, like, goddamn, like, does it do what it's... I feel like it almost deserves the four because, like, it it leached so much emotion out of me. And that's the thing, right? Like, Like, you earned this star, you fuck. Yeah, and, like, (laughs) by by that case, like, we also give Irreversible a four because it's just so horrifying and, like, shocks you to your goddamn core. What's Irreversible? Irreversible is that Gaspar Noe movie that's played backwards that has a really Oh, God. Yeah, right? So there's, there's that, like... You know, unfortunately, like, they, both of those movies are very good at what they do. Like, they, they, they get inside Squeeze you. you like an orange. Yeah, but, but, you know, like, <laughs> when we, when we talk about, like, the movie parts of it, the story parts of it, it's just like, yeah, it's not a perfect film. <laughs> but, but, you know, I go to movies because I want to, I want to feel something. I want to experience something. Like, I, I, I want to be entertained, sure, but, like, I want to be transported, I guess, right? <laughs> like, I think that's why people go to the movies. Um, I think it's why we listen to music, but it's not always like, that's the only thing I need. <laughs> like it's, it did, it did definitely fill that quota, but it is still also a zombie movie that's got some like, oh yeah. Bits. Like <laughs> I don't feel great after a movie. If I feel afterwards, like I have to hang myself over the banister, like a, t- like a, a wet towel. <laughs> like I remember needing to like wash down that movie with like cartoons. I was just like, we need to watch something wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was just like, it was bedtime and I was destroyed. <laughs> yeah. How do you go on living, let alone sleeping after this movie? <laughs> so, I mean, credit where credit's due. It did it did achieve all of that. Yeah, absolutely. 3.75. Oh, boy. Out of four. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow. That's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Now, we've got another train to board. Let's talk... About Bong Joon Ho's Snowpiercer. This chaos. A thousand people in an iron box. 18 years I've hated the train. 18 years I've waited for this moment. This is your world. The train saved humanity. The engine lasts forever. The population must always be kept in balance. I said sit down. Passengers, eternal order flows from the sacred engine. We must occupy our preordained position. I belong to the front. You 
belong to the tail. Know your place. Keep your place. Those bastards in the front think they own us. We'll be different when we get there. What do you say? We take the engine. And we control the world. When is the time? Soon. Order. We're going to the front. Open the gate. We know you well, Mr. Curtis. We've been watching you. Precisely 74% of you shall die. Everybody back! I'm not a leader. You're ready, Ali. From 2013, Snowpiercer, the movie, is currently sitting at a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, 84% on Metacritic, and 3.7 out of 5 on Letterboxd. So first time watch for me. Mm-hmm. I hadn't I hadn't seen Snowpiercer previously. Pretty excited to check it out. Snow? Trains? Yeah, you're the one that put this episode together, which is you know, which is interesting. I mean, I, I guess if you watch a trailer or see a poster, like you know what Snowpiercer's about. You know the Train to Busan's a train movie. I think it was a pretty good theme. Yeah. Not a lot of people tackle apocalypse trains, and we have now run the gamut on apocalypse trains. I can't think of a lot of other apocalypse trains movies now. I mean, this movie would have paired pretty well, I think, with the platform. You know, yes, yeah. yeah, Hunger Games. Right, going on the X and Y axis, right? Is that the <laughs> Any of uh, Bong Joon-ho's other movies that deal with classism, all of them. Pretty much, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definite theme. Uh, I even tailgated this movie with a short film of his from a, a few years ago that was <laughs> very strange. This, on the other hand, dystopian future. Snow everywhere, trains present. Yeah, I remember the opening of this movie. You go, oh, the whole world froze. <laughs> It's like, wow, you really don't know anything about this, huh? No, I didn't know anything, and I didn't realize it was going to be so futuristic sci-fi-esque. It's got this, like, fun sci-fi steampunk element to it I wasn't expecting. Very fun. Did you know that you would be getting a lot of, like, oorah action moments? I don't know. I honestly, I don't know what I anticipated. I, I knew so very little about this movie going into it that I was just settling down for some snowy train action. You said something very early on that I thought was was pretty genius and like really sort of like nails like one of the big problems with this movie is like Chris Evans is too pretty for the apocalypse. He is so pretty. <laughs> they 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 tried their best. Like and I, I was reading about some of the costuming of the film that they had to cut off the the clothing and the underlayers. So he's wearing like tank tops of sweaters under the jacket because his arms are too bulky. He's too <laughs> beefy for the role. It's because he's been Captain America for too yeah, long, Yeah, right? so they yeah. had so they have him wearing like six layers and underneath that jacket is just 
straight arms, baby. <laughs> That's so funny. Because, yeah, like, how are you supposed to get a guy who's jacked to be like, these people are starving? Yeah, they're eating pure pureed bugs. <laughs> Whoa. And resorting to cannibalism. Sorry, I, I just went right out there with the secret. I'm sorry. That's okay. I mean, like, we, we, uh, we, we assume people have seen this movie before we talk <laughs> about it. But, yeah, so they're eating these protein bars. That are like jello. They look like fruit leather, like thick ass fruit leather. Like yeah. somebody melted down fruit roll ups and made gold bars out of them. But also, you know, we've all seen Soylent Green. This is Soylent Red. <laughs> and the reveal that these are just a bunch of like cockroaches and, and grasshoppers being ground up is just like, all right, cool, whatever. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, wait till you guys hear about the candy you ate before the apocalypse was made out of because shellac is bugs. Yeah, it's on Smarties. It's all over the place. It's bugs. <laughs> yeah, there's bug guts on tons of stuff. Yeah. Anything that's got like a clear coating, like especially on candy, bugs. Surprise, anything that's artificially red, bugs. Yeah. Anything that's naturally red, bugs. It's weird how much bug stuff is in <laughs> food. It's all already been bugs. <laughs> and people also just go to carnivals every year and go, I'm going to get me a deep fried chocolate bug. Like that's just, <laughs> that's just a thing you can do at carnivals. I need a chocolate bug for my Instagram. <laughs> I remember as a kid getting lollipops that had bugs in them. Like, Ew. you could get one that had, like, a mealworm Oh, like a fake it. amber, and mm. you're just like, woo, we went to the museum, and now we're eating mealworms. Yeah, but, like, they're real. Like, it's not like it's fake. Oh, I'm sorry. It's we, we went, to you. We went so intense. core in the poor side of town. We had lollipop. <laughs> there was one you could get that was gigantic that had, like, a baby scorpion in it. Ew. It was weird. That's gross. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the reveal on that was pretty lackluster. Because at this point, there are two kids that have been taken from the rich side of the train. Yeah, like, aren't you happy to find out you're not eating your kids? <laughs> I just assumed it was kids. And then I was like, well, it's weird. Why Why are they measuring them? Why do they have to be a particular height to be eaten? Are they freshest that size? Like, oh, it can't be over three feet. Not fresh enough. <laughs> Who's to say that those kids aren't getting thrown in with those bugs? Because those kids are definitely not going to stay that height forever. Oh, so true. Right? Kids grow fast. They do grow fast. Like little spring beans. There's a lot of cool, like, details that I appreciate. Like, you know, unfortunately, like, it has that same feel that most graphic novel adaptations or video game adaptations have where like you're you're getting dropped into a world that's got so much yes. stuff yeah and you're just trying to hold on yeah you're trying to hold on for a little bit until things get going yeah but I, I do like like the corporal punishment stuff like sticking their arm out in the fucking train and just that like, was wonderful yeah. yeah I really liked the back of the train it, it definitely had this um bottom of the titanic vibe like the <laughs> okay the playing violins and and dancing and i don't know friday nights unwinding in the in the shit show okay and i love seeing their beds and just the post-apocalyptic nature of it all and how like resourceful they were like all of their clothes and their beds and stuff were sourced and like put together from rags and stuff like i really appreciated the visuals of that and the visuals of the of the different classes in the movie are, are really well done, probably the best element of the movie. But I found that I didn't get enough time to give a shit about these characters. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. One, Chris Evans is too darn beautiful. Mm. I understood the want to get out of the of the bottom, but with how little they knew, I was expecting like a bunch of plot reversals on 
on the journey of the train. Like, to get to Wilford at the very front of the train, nobody has ever spanned the length of the train before. I was expecting, one, Wilford to not be real, or two, the windows to be holograms and them to be part of a simulation that's all just either entertainment or an experiment. Oh, that'd be crazy. Yeah. Just with how little information they knew, it was just like, oh, and we have to get to the front. Well, the thing is, like, they are getting messages from somewhere up front a little. Like, they don't know from where. They assume it's the person who's making the protein packs, who's a person that they knew. So, like, that's part of also what's driving them. And by, by all accounts, they are given information that if they just get two or three cars ahead and release a, I think, prisoner? I'm not sure. Uh, that he will, he is essentially like a technician that can help them break through all the doors all the way to the front. Mm-hmm. So, and like, that's that's another bit of information that gets dumped on you in the beginning that is yeah, just like, boom, 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 boom. They're all of a sudden rescuing some guy and you're just like, was he just in a morgue door? Like, how did they, was he frozen in there? Like, what, what was going on in there? How was he getting nourishment? And then they're just like, unlock this door, we don't care. <laughs> I mean, uh, they, they always describe him as being uh, like a, was it, Crolone? Is that what it's called? Cronol? Cronol. Cronol? You Cron- sure it's Cronol, not Cro- Cronol? Crolone? Cronol. <laughs> I think it's Cronol. <laughs> like Cronol, because I, I thought they were saying. Call it crack cocaine. I, I thought they were saying Chrono the whole time. I was like, oh, Chrono sounds cool. And then I read the captions, and yeah. it was like Cronol. Okay, yeah. Well, they think he's he's some sort of like spaced out. He likes the the blue chalker things that you you put on the cue stick that at, is exactly what they look like at a pool table but it's industrial waste like, yeah and yeah. it's extremely explosive this drug yes of course right oh man all the fun drugs are dangerous <laughs> so uh, yeah i think maybe they just like open his door throw a protein pack and a, like a chrono thing in there and they close her back up like wakey wakey <laughs> yeah i don't know why he's in there um and for for some reason he's still in a better station than the people behind him yeah that's the interesting thing like everybody's got well, i mean up to a point there's like every life is shitty and but there's still a bunch of people behind you like are they really at the tail end of the train like you do do you not think there's maybe another car behind them i honestly it feels like and i know it's a movie we we can't afford to do unlimited car trains yeah but the the train feels a little Short. Sure. In terms, and, and just in terms of me suspending my disbelief as they get through the train, because I'm like, where is everybody sleeping? <laughs> I think in the There's book, too many entertainment trains. There's a, oh, man. Well, that's the thing. Like, once you get past, like, the water supply and the surfs, like, it's all entertainment from there on. Yeah, there's the aquarium. There's a beauty parlor. There's, two, I think, two different clubs. There's a pool train. There's a sauna train. There's a lot. There's a whole-ass sauna train. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of sauna. <laughs> Uh, I think it's 994 cars long. Oh, wow. Yeah, is the idea. That's fun. Yeah. So, like, it, it, yeah, I can see how it would take more than a movie to to try and fight your way through. Plus, they also come on a lot of cars that are empty, which is probably just because they heard, oh, shit, revolt a few trains back. Let's all get ahead and get forward. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of unused trains or, at the very least, abandoned trains. Yeah, well, and I assume there's, like, shift work and stuff. So, like, if people aren't working in a certain car, of course it's going to be empty for... A period. Yeah, it's hard to say exactly what Minister Wilford's intentions were. I love that he's called Minister. Also, Tilda Swinton's character is Minister Mason. Uh, and it, 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 there's plenty of stuff in this movie that just kind of like helps nail it down to me as like a North Korea story. Uh, and really any sort of oppressive government story. I mean, it's just like the platform also. High Rise would be another good example. It does become very culty. And you really realize that. When they get to the the, the school car, like the uh, student, the school car. car really nails the hammer on 
really nails it down for me. Yeah, right. Like that's 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 a hundred percent. It's like this looks like North Korea propaganda. Yeah, like this is in this is indoctrination car number one. Oh yeah, but even when Tilda Swinton comes back to the tail of the car and the way that she talks about the engine, how like they essentially like worship the engine. It's like guys, it's only been eighteen years. Like yeah, it's insane. Like they they're in. Well, I mean, the entire world is dead. Uh, with the with the exception of the people on the car, life has completely changed, and a, they're entirely insulated, both you know, in the car uh, that, that that they're stationed in, but also just in the belief system and how the only thing that keeps this thing running is the understanding that you can't move from one car to the next. Yeah, well, with- and, and well, that's really good, but just coming to terms with the the situation they're presented with. It's so bleak and so grim that you can kind of understand why they have created kind of their own faith. There's a like a god that exists within the train because it has to be another earth because the earth outside is inhospitable. It doesn't exist anymore. And for them to understand that they're just this like little flea rotating a dead carcass yeah. is terrifying. Sure. Something could go wrong with the train and they could die. So they need to believe in the train. Otherwise, they're dead. They're dead already. Yep. Which I mean, let's let's be real, is exactly how I think a lot of people look at climate change. Like it's like, oh no, there's no such thing as climate change. Everything's fine. We don't have to worry about anything that we do because if we did, if we did believe that we were killing the Earth right now, we'd realize that we have nowhere else to fucking go. You know, and like they, um, the people on this train assumed that Earth was going to be fine and Earth was always going to be home, and then one day that turned to be very untrue. Mm-hmm. So they need to believe in the engine. The engine will never die. <laughs> like all of that shit is so great because it's so absurd, and you just want to smack these people. But there's no difference from them and and uh, like a handful of people that you run into in real life every single day. Yeah. Plus, you also see very early on that their situation is actually pretty precarious like they're crossing these huge expansive bridges that are yeah how long is that gonna last over yeah nobody is maintaining those tracks no every single year they have to break through these things they have to pierce the snow and uh oh (laughs) and it looks as though they almost die every hour on the hour (laughs) which is probably why they celebrate new year where they do because it's probably the riskiest part of the track Oh, maybe. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Because it's not like they started there, I wouldn't mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Okay. Like, it's this, it's like, woo, another year. We made it another year because they crossed that perilous bridge. I love when that moment comes, too, because it, it is after, it's in the middle of a real fucking brutal fight where you've got a bunch of just tired, poor people going into a fight, a fight with, like, wrenches going up against assholes who have been eating well and pumping iron for years with sharp as shit axes it's rough it's crazy a whole shitload of people die and then they all take a break bloody tired to just say happy new year to each other which is like blood in between their teeth the new year is so weird it's like when we really delve into like willy wonka territory when they start handing out the eggs and stuff you're just like what is this world and even the egg has a message in it right like those messages are coming from the front we realize that the guy who's making the protein packs wasn't sending them so who's sending them i think anybody who's seen this movie is probably miles ahead of who's sending the messages i still thought it was fake you still thought it was yes fake? and it was, i think it was my biggest hurdle in really falling into this film and really enjoying myself 
because I kept feeling like there was going to be some surprise at the end, some twist, because Mason's character, she kept showing up and kept coming to the back. And we saw her so much that I assumed either she was going to be actually the person at the heart of this train. And and then it was like this weird twisted thing where she just loved having this Petri dish of her own. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To play with the different hierarchies of, of social class and stuff. Like I was just building all these alternate movies in my head and, uh, I turned out to be incorrect. Uh, it turned out to just be a post-apocalyptic train blazing through the snow in an inhospitable earth. Don't you still think it's fake, though? There's no such thing as Minister Wilford. Like, he isn't ordained to be there. There's nothing special about him that makes him the person that should be at the head of the train. But like, we, that's what's fake. But we know that kind of. Because, we know that because we live in the real world. Uh, like. but, but even when they're talking about, they're teaching the students in the school car, they're like, everybody thought he was crazy. Na, 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 na. But it turns out he was right. And look at all those corpses. <laughs> I guess I guess I'm just getting to the idea that there is answers and there's reason. Like when you get to Wilford, there's going you're going to, at least as a viewer, discover why it's set up like this. And there's going to be a purpose behind it. And it's only just because... Wilfred likes aquariums. Yeah, Wilfred (laughs) Wilfred likes aquariums. Wilfred thinks that people should be arranged in a line. Like, he believes that there are people who belong at the top who get everything and people at the bottom who get nothing. And that's not true. And what's really really hard is that the movie also kind of backs his position in that we are seeing nothing but chaos in the wake of Chris Evans' trek from the tail to the head. Mm Mm-hmm. P.S. I love all of Tilda Swinton's like uh, humanizations of the train. Like she talks about like you you can't put a hat on your foot and you can't put a shoe on your head. And she talks about being in the belly of the train. And it's it's like she really humanizes it mm-hmm. and makes it like a living thing. But the whole system's fake. Like the whole system is fabricated. The whole system is built on a belief system, and the the belief is is imaginary. Like there's there's nothing real about it. So like I think in a way you still kind of get that fakeness that there is no Wilfred, and he's not. And like and, and the fact that like he offers Chris, Chris Evans the position like take over, become the new conductor, we'll call it, become me, become the new Wilfred. It's it's like the the Dread Pirate Roberts. Like there's no it's not real. It never existed. It's a story we tell each other to keep to keep up appearances and mm-hmm. to keep things status quo. Which kind which isn't really a huge reveal though because all of the characters at the back of the train believe that because they revolt to get toward the front because they don't believe they deserve to be the have-nots. There's no reason for them to be the have-nots. And what, what's happening to them is cruel, which is why they build a fucking battering ram and they they push their way forward. So, like, we're always operating on, on a belief that capitalism is wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Like, in, in some way, like, I think they, they are hoping to go and talk to Wilford and explain the situation and try and create equality for everybody. Everybody's dead by that point. Or kill him and then, you know, equality for everybody. <laughs> like they still they still exist in the back of the train, but the playing field is leveled. Like and every- There is a high level of optimism. Like the fact that they're still looking for those two kids. Well, that's the like, other thing too, I right? assume they were eaten right away. <laughs> and the thing is like that woman who comes to the back and gets those kids and brings them to the front for Wilford in my opinion, 
is the one, is the first person who's traveled the length of the train, which is what Ed Harris, Wilford, is just like, no one's ever done that. Oh, shit. Like, what are you fucking talking yeah, about? Yeah, we this see other in the girl. and the front. Yeah, she's sitting in the room with you, man. Like, she's right here. Also, those kids traveled from the tail to the head. Oh, true. So he's the fourth. I just, yeah, I, I get <laughs> this what he's... This week. <laughs> I get, yeah, right? I get what he's saying, but, yeah. I just couldn't fathom how far somebody who wanted, like, if you were in the fifth train, but you were still in, like, the upper class, and you wanted to go all the way back to the garden train to read your goddamn book, <laughs> you would have to go through, like, 600 trains. And I a just, club. Like, you gotta walk, like, yeah. ah, shit, I forgot it was disco night. <laughs> yeah, like, you gotta walk through the aquarium where the sushi bar is only open twice a year. <laughs> yeah. It just, yeah. I don't know. I don't understand train logistics. John kept trying to explain that, like, some of them were double-decker. And they that, are! So, you see them walk upstairs! Yeah, but I don't know if there are different cars underneath, because some of the cars are, like, really tall, and you can see gears and shit, like that final car. Like, that's definitely... The, there's nothing above or below that. No, I don't think so. Mm. <laughs> there were just not enough bedrooms. Yeah, no, I get you. It's a little strange, but, like, whatever. We deal with it. It's a movie. <laughs> It also just looks great. The coloring in this movie is so much fun because even when that woman shows up to take those kids, like you just... know she's different. Oh yeah, because she's not covered in shit. <laughs> like that's <laughs> and the mustard coat. Yeah, well, that, that, that's the thing. Like everybody back there is gray and black and sooty and just gross. Um, because and eating that's... their gelatin squares and eating their gelatin squares. Like it is just a grim situation like everything looks awful and then here she comes clean pretty wearing actual colors like some of those people are definitely wearing that color but it it all got covered in grease yes they were wearing that color it's it's just covered in grease now it's a really strange movie it's very weird i don't quite understand the high love for it so i mean here we are like with the the train to busan thing about how people we know film critics who don't love it and I can't really see why, but I feel the same way about Snowpiercer. It's like, yeah, it's a good movie. Like, I like it. But, you know, it's, it's not like the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's not 94% on Rotten Tomatoes great. Yeah, I left it a little bit disappointed because I guess maybe because I kept looking for more to the the, the movie. I thought I was going to be, like, tricked or switched. And I was just like, oh, no, this is actually just some crazy guy named Wilford at the top of the train. Yeah. Running his aquarium. And, like, we can only have one stingray. <laughs> my, I think like teenage me would have loved this movie. Like we, like teenage me had just discovered Kurt Vonnegut would have ate this shit up. Like the idea that there is some scale that needs to be balanced that everybody is like subconsciously contractually obligated to. And, and especially to that Wilford and Gilliam, John Hurt's character, uh, that, that they were communicating with each other from the back to the front. And That's that, fun. Like the idea that like you need these two characters to sort of work the head and the tail of the train and keep things in order. Mm-hmm. I don't love it now. I understand, though, the need for balance because they have such a finite amount of space. If Earth happened to be like one five hundredth the size it is like do you not think the same thing would be happening right now like the same thing we... is happening like that that's the thing about this movie oh, like well, i know 100 in, in terms of like amazon and part-time work and la 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 and income like absolutely it's what's happening right now but i was just thinking in terms of literal space oh sure I mean, like, hey, we're all we're also at that right now too. Like, let's let's be real. There are laws that existed where you were limited to having only two kids in real life. So, yeah. like, mm-hmm. it is it is very true to life. But honestly, to me, that that's just a really great premise. Of course, 
the hierarchy train is fantastic. That's what gets me to watch the movie. That's what gets me excited about the costuming and and revealing a different car, almost like it's an advent calendar we're opening. Like, I wonder wonder what class we're going to see next. And that's the fun stuff of the movie. But I wanted more of some. I, I needed to elaborate on it. I needed to feel like we were trying to comment on it other than the fact that it exists. You needed a miniseries, is that what you're saying? Yeah, like maybe if it was a four-parter and we because I don't want to watch four a qu- seasons of it. A quarter of the train and ep- an episode or whatever. Oh yeah, I'm alright with that. Like 900 short stories of a big long train. Yeah, and don't you feel like we needed to see more of the elite class to be able to judge them poorly? Like we really only saw Mason, Wilfred, and Wilfred's assistant. We did get see a bunch of extras who were yeah. partying and dancing and la la la. But where did Mason fit in in that story? Like, did she live with Wilfred? Was she in a car below Wilfred? Was does she have henchmen other than the the armed guards that didn't have bullets? I I don't really feel the, an, a complete understanding of the upper hierarchy. I didn't see enough of them to paint them guilty. Like I I guess they're just guilty by association or guilty by willful ignorance. Oh, well, totally. And, like, is that is that not true about now? Like, like, like outside of the train, 2020, uh, America, Korea, every, anywhere you go, Canada. Like, it's it's all kind of exactly the same if you really want to boil it down. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, everything that's happening on this train is just a a hyper-stylized version of yeah. everything that's happening and now. and that's a great comment, but a comment and premise does not a movie make. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, whatever. Um... We get enough of them in that they know about the tale, and they are taught about the tale at school as children. Which is is kind of twisted. Yeah, and so, like, they know that they exist, they know what kind of station they're in, they hear lots of stupid rumors about them, they hear lots of talking down about them, and they do nothing about it. So it's fine. Like, I think that's enough. The fact that they know there are people back there who are who were at one point eating each other and are now it's like, oh, fine, to stop them from eating each other, we'll let them have bugs, I guess. Like, and and hate them forever and not understand their purpose and just disregard them entirely. Like, Yeah, that's... I still don't understand the need for them, though. Like, why they existed to begin with. Yeah, what? like, surely there was another purpose. Like, they had to be doing something because, it, you know, like, oh, thankfully they have kids back there. Well, I mean, at least based on the conversation that we have with Wolford at the end, like, their purpose is to start uprising and then for that uprising to be quashed and then for balance to be restored. That's all it's about. Like That's pretty great too, is that they use the largest group, the group that could eventually overpower them to maintain the number of people that's optimal for the train. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with getting them to start a revolution so you can kill some of them, so you can reduce the amount of people in the tail. Like, it's just as much for the people up front. The people up front need to feel like they've earned their station and that they need to defend it and that other people want it in order to actually make it a station. Well, and it's good optics, too. It, it further enforces the the roles and, and the placings. Like, the people on the bottom deserve to be on the bottom because they're brutes and they're they're wild and they're violent and they need to be controlled. It makes them feel better about themselves, right? Like that's, mm. that's what it comes to. Man, like it's uh, this this is why I like his 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 other stuff more than Parasite. Like this is all in Parasite. Don't get me wrong. Like all of this is Parasite yeah, the this, movie. But Parasite it's also is host, just a more you know? sophisticated version of this. All yeah. of his movies tackle um the stations of life. Yeah. 
to use train terminology. Oh, shit. <laughs> is that why he did this? Because he was just like, oh, shit. I mean, like, this really works. <laughs> like, I can't uh, not. Well, apparently when he discovered the comic book at this, like, little bookstore, he read the entire thing, like, just right up front. Like, he never, it, it never even made it home. Wow. Like, he fell in love with it. That's rad. Yeah. And and I was reading a little bit, too, because I was like, I wonder how much of this story is in the comic book. Like, I wonder how much more elaborate the journey to the front was. This is an entirely new contained story. I was going to say, because it, it definitely says screen story by Bong Joon-ho. And then also he's got a co-writer for the screenplay. Yeah, I, I was reading some of the synopsises of the like the first few Snowpiercer editions and... It goes really off the rails. (laughs) (laughs) Double zing. (laughs) I can't be stopped. (laughs) I will will say, backing up just a little bit, I don't entirely buy the the Wilford and Gilliam partnership. Like, I really don't. Yeah, I don't know. And I think that's, I think you don't get a solid answer about it either. Because, like, the way Gilliam works, especially in that story Chris Evans tells about killing killing a woman... And trying to kill her baby. Trying to picture Chris Evans ever cannibalizing somebody. He's just like, <laughs> I know what human tastes like. And you're like, yeah, bud. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but then also also the, the fact that John Hurt's character, Gilliam, cuts his own arm off instead of killing this baby and essentially saying, like, here, eat my arm instead, of, but let this baby live. That was a nice reveal because Gilliam... When we see him, he has very few limbs left, and but, we assume and it's, it's yeah. Sorry, we assume it's because of the the torture that they they inflict on anybody who's out of line in the back. Like we see them freeze a dude's arm off because he throws a shoe at Tilda Swinton. Yeah, and so you assume that it's just like, ooh, he earned his place at the top because he's a rebel, but he earned his place at the top because he was offering. Parts of his body up so that the people in his station weren't eating each other. And that's what everybody started to do. They were hacking off limbs to to be shared. Like, I'll give a leg. You're I'll give so an arm. so thoughtful. Yeah. <laughs> that's such a horrible place to be in. <sighs> um, but, I, yeah, I don't super duper buy the, the, the unity between those two characters. Like, I think it's, it's fabricated. I mean, it's, it's ambiguous because it's, it's up to you to figure out whether that's true or not. Um, but I think that's partly him twisting Curtis's will. Like, I think he's trying to get somebody else to run the train and this is the best he, he has essentially brainwashed him into it. Like this is the, like that, that information dump and the offer for it is the final like re-education program for Curtis because up until then he is against the train but and at it's that the moment it's the final defense against protecting the train yeah cuz at that moment he 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 buys his station uh Yona the character comes in to get the matches from him because they're going to blow the door off off the train and and escape and he stops her and he like looks down at her and there's this moment where he I, I, I don't know that he's necessarily like fully committed to it, but it is easier for him to try and stop her because she's below him at that time. Like, thankfully, he's able to 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 sort of shake that off. But I, I have always just seen it as a as a long con from the guy up front, from Ed Harris, from Wilford. I don't even think of it as a long con. Like, I think it's really reactive because he even says that there was a plan to get him to this point with his revolt to quell the population, but he got farther than that. Yeah. And he made it all the way to the front. And so I think when they realized they weren't going to take him down in the sauna room, that he needed to redevise a plan in order to protect the train. 
I think he always assumed that whoever made their way up front from the tail yeah. would be the person to run it. And like, I did not expect to be doing this today. I thought I'd be doing it in maybe 20 years, but psh, you're the guy. Mm-hmm. So it's always been. Because it's not like he was dying of cancer or anything. Like, what no, was he going right? to do? Just like put his hat on and just like walk, walk back to the, to yeah. the boot? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know. He's just going to hang out in the garden, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> The, the other thing I, I think is more interesting that is not necessarily talked about is that I think um, Nam Gong, the, you know, played played by Song Kang-ho, the, the other actor from from Parasite, uh, the dad in Parasite. Um, I think they just refer to him as Nam in the movie. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. It isn't until the very end of the movie that we realize the girl who's been going around with him, Yona, is his daughter. I don't know because they... She says dad. They Well, yeah, but they also mirror their relationship with the big bad guy from the sauna who like won't die mm. because she spears the one guy in the like uprising room with with the night vision glasses and, and remember he gets impaled yeah, and they they share like this really intense eye contact so it's like son and father i think versus dad and daughter oh you think those two guys are related yeah mm. because he's like this is personal and then he's going after them particularly that's a really good point yeah i didn't actually think about there that. there was this like intense like how dare you that's i'm that's dope. I'm glad you I'm glad you just threw that at me. I love that. Because I think the woman who's leading that pack of seven that they they travel past every year, and it's it's proof that like don't go against Wilford, don't go outside. I think the woman who's leading that pack is her mother. Oh. Because he says she was a maid up front. She told me like you know, all the different types of snow. She was an Inuit. Um, and like he he knows about her personally. Like he knows her name. And also just, like, the final image of the movie, too, of, like, Yano being, like, or Yona being the, one of the only people to survive the fucking train crash and just going out into the snow and realizing that it's safe and that she's going to sort of blaze ahead. Like, I really think she's their daughter. Mm, That's cool. That's nice. Only the, so the ending kind of, I don't know. I, I didn't vibe so much with the, with the explosion because the train just was obliterated so many people died and everybody in the middle and if anybody was remaining from the end i don't think there was it's it's hard to say like maybe but so many people like fell down into a gorge were blown up the tail specifically yeah the whole like it was very very bleak now i think most of that tail a lot of that tail is already dead anyway yeah and but there was also no real closure on the deaths of Chris Evans is Curtis and for Nam because we see them embrace the the little boy that's rescued from the, the gears and the daughter and they like embrace to like hide them and I guess protect them from the blast mm-hmm. but we don't see them dead and so when when the two of them are out in the snow you're just like what everybody died and now you have no resources and you have no understanding of how cold it is. Like, oh, good, there's a polar bear. So, like, things that are meant to live in snow can survive. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I know. So he- I just did not feel very optimistic for that tiny, tiny little boy. I just like to assume that, s- that more people survived that car, cr- that train crash than we saw. That there's still a handful of people out there and that, like, they, they're they a little spread out now, but, like, maybe they'll come together and we'll start a community. And communism reigns. Because it can't communism. Uh, <laughs> socialism. <laughs> I guess whatever. It's, I don't know enough about either of those to really claim one <laughs> or the other. <laughs> but, um, 
there better be more than just the two of them left because, like, good luck. They're fucked. They had a perfectly good water system that they blew up. And, like, tomatoes were growing. Like, well, why did we destroy the whole train? They didn't plan to destroy the whole train. The explosion, which, I mean, like, they could have just used less of that crow load stuff. <laughs> like, uh, Chrono. They just needed to blow that goddamn door up. Like, <laughs> it's because they triggered an avalanche that took out the entire system, right? Yeah, right, the, 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 entire, the entire train. It was the snow's fault, I tell you. The snow did it. Now, we, uh, it's interesting to watch this movie now, too, because we are in the middle of, like, watching our government sort of, like, discuss their financial situation, their entire structure, and, like, I don't necessarily trust them to be the best people to come up with the new plan, but I'm sure whatever they come up with is probably going to be a little bit better, because, like, we are at a point where we can really fundamentally change... A lot of things. Yes. And the, the, everywhere. Every, no matter where you're listening to this, you're in a, like, you're affected by the pandemic. You're affected by the decisions that the government makes, like, directly right now. It's yeah. direct, as directly as you ever have. Yeah. And, like, maybe, maybe, like, we're one step closer to, say, like, a universal basic income, which. And just, like, ha- seeing how fucked systems were that we thought were working that aren't working. Yeah, like, the systems you know, that we kind of always said were fucked. seniors. Yeah. Oh, God, right? <laughs> And I think part of the argument, too, is just like, well, what would we do? Like, it's just like if we just like if we just flipped a switch and turned the system off and like said goodbye to everything we knew, it would be mass destruction and there'd be so many deaths and whatnot. And it's not you can't say yes to that. You can't just be like, yeah, sure. Let's go ahead and just kill 74 percent of the population or Mm -hmm. leave 74 percent of the population alive or whatever, you know, for the sole purpose of restarting and getting it right this time. But it's just as equally an evil opinion to have that we should keep things the way they are because they're they're going okay and it's it's terrible for 90 percent of the people but it seems to be working okay and like the idea that the 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 engine of the train is a belief system that the the order in which people the status the 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 station that you're in in your life is ordained and that's where you're supposed to be and there's nothing that you can do to climb it is a belief system. It's the same way that money is kind of a belief system at this point, especially. We believe things have value and we believe things have purpose and it's it's all something that we collectively agree on and we could just one day change our opinions and change our belief system and it could benefit more people if we did that. Mm-hmm. The, the, you touch on a really good point that um, that made me think of something I hadn't previously. Is there something interesting about this kind of take on the status of things and the social status of things in that there isn't a belief of climbing classes? Like uh, you could take America as an example is that there's this the universal the American dream yeah. where the people below are complacent because there there exists this belief that a man builds himself and and this is the land of opportunity and you you create your status yeah. and that you can climb and so there's this like almost like the carrot on the stick mm-hmm. whereas this train has no carrot like these people understand that they are stuck in the boot forever yep. and they have not perfected this capitalistic train because these people are told that they can't and so they do well, that's that's actually the carrot. The carrot is that they there's there's no carrot. There's no way for us to climb up. So all we have to all we have left is revolt. 
and they have been dangling revolt in front of them the entire time because they need revolt they need revolt within the train it's, which i i guess explains even too why there were no bullets being used at the back of the train because they needed them to get further yeah yeah i mean like they, they tell us it's because they ran out of bullets in the previous uprising but there's a pretty good chance that they just they never gave it to them anyway because we do know that bullets exist like later on people are shut the fuck up mm-hmm yeah, and it's 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 hard to say when, especially if you want to take like the the 2016 American election as an example about how much collusion is or how much influence rather is put into something that you think is a decision you've made all on your own. Like when you watch, um, say the the Wall Street rise that we were having forever ago, the one percenter stuff, and and any really strong riot that we have where we're trying to uprise and overthrow a government, like. Probably just somebody else who's more in position of taking over that government is the person who told you that you could, or like instilled in the lowest people on the ladder that it's time to revolt. You know, mm-hmm. it's not exactly the nicest way to look at the at at the world. Like you, you never want to feel like you're being manipulated into making a decision that you think is the one that's best for you that overthrows everything, but. You never really know. <laughs> it's oh, kind of so scary. Oh yeah, no, it's totally fucked. It's crazy, and that's they, honestly, you know, like we we it'd be really weird to pair these two things together. But hands down, I think a better double feature. No offense to us <gasps> for putting this episode. How together, dare you say? <laughs> is Snowpiercer versus that episode from season one of Black Mirror with Daniel Kaluuya, where they're riding the bikes in an in an effort to go to that talent show to then. Do you not remember this? Keep describing it so they ride they <laughs> they are riding these exercise bikes and the exercise bikes are what power the lights and they get points and that's oh i remember it and that's how they buy things i do right? remember and there's like a bunch of microwaves and stuff that are like food fridges yes and okay. like you can buy food fridges you can buy microwaves and like you can buy talk time and you like can, exactly or you can use like 20 million dollars to get on this talent show and if you win the talent show then now you become one of the elite and you have a show and it's real dark, like, some of the turns that it takes, and, like, especially if you haven't seen it, the ending is, like, crazy fucking dark. Like, way darker than anything that we've talked about on this fucking podcast or seen in Snowpiercer. No, I want to watch it. I've we forgotten can, the we ending. Can, we can totally rewatch it, because it's a huge bummer, and I love a good bummer. In- <laughs> <laughs> you know what this pandemic needs? More Black Mirror. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it is genuinely one of the darkest pieces of television or filmmaking that I have ever seen. Wow. And it says way more, especially about, like, say, the entertainment industry and and about uh, standing up for something that you think is right than than any movie's probably ever going to do for the next 20 years. I don't know. Like, that's, that's an overstatement. But, um, but yeah, it hits you fucking hard. All right, John, we're sold. We're all sold. We're all going to watch it. We're going to check it out. <laughs> we did not talk enough about, like, unfortunately, we are running a little long. We did not, like... We did not talk enough about, like, all the cool little shit about this movie. Because this movie's fucking great to look at. Okay, but what about the weird shit that we didn't talk about? Like, the weird glass shootout. I I just... I do... That is uh, a little weird. Why? Why did they do that? Maybe that guy partly did that because he knows it's not as cold outside as we tell everybody that it is. Right? Because we, like, at the very least, it's proven at the end that the, the Earth is hospitable again. Like, we don't actually need to stay on the train. Which is even a, which it's is another still, fucking statement about uh, how we live. Like you don't actually have to stay on the train. It's still debatable how hospitable Earth is. Like they could have waited until it defrosted a little fucking more. 
I think as soon as you can get off that train, you get off that train. They had tomatoes growing, John. <laughs> but is it worth it? Is it worth like putting a bunch of people like? Is it worth letting a bunch of people die horribly? There were children slowly? on that train everywhere. That not, whole train was filled. with That was children. the avalanche's fault, and I blame God. <laughs> So you blame the engine. <laughs> yeah, Monona had nothing to do with that. <laughs> oh, boy. But well, yeah, like, cinematography of this movie is so fucking great. It's it's amazing to look at at every single turn. The fucking night vision fight out? Like, goddamn, that was cool as shit. But, you know, this is... I, I, I especially think these these two films were great to pair for the getting through the train sequences. Oh, yes, 100%. They were very very well matched in terms of like okay we gotta fight these guys with axes and night vision and it's dark now but we're gonna bring fucking fire that's so true like the, both of these movies did have fucking like oh the the lights are out somebody's got the home field advantage it was pretty good i liked it a lot it was pretty good with that <laughs> but as yeehaw as some of those moments are like the ending really I don't love it. I really, and especially because, like, I, I know I keep trying to defend it a little bit, but, like, yeah, especially because the train is demolished and, like, we kill everyone. Like, it's, I, it's just like, <laughs> what the fuck? And like, also, too, is it is not Wilfred, it's Ed Harris, right? Yeah. He's fucking Westworld. I was expecting Westworld. <laughs> well, I mean, Westworld came after this. I know, but I just mean I was expecting it to be TV screens. You really wanted him to just, like, open his face up and be an alien. I thought robot, the engine right? was going to open and it was just going to be like, congratulations, you survived the ride. It was 22, it was, it was like, this was locked for 22 years, but you made it out in 18. <laughs> like, that and then suck. only four people have ever beaten the ride. And there's, like, a whole bunch of just, like, normal, everyday people. Like, yeah. you fucking did it, man. This and was the greatest clap, running TV series. And he's like, series. I ate babies. <laughs> That's They're what I Wanted. They're like, we have a whole compilation box set if you'd like to relive that from 1999 <laughs> right now. Oh boy! So, what is your rating of Snowpiercer? Um, I think I'm going to give it a uh 2.25 out of four. Okay, I mean that's what I was expecting because I accidentally, while trying to find the letterbox rating for this movie, saw your two and a half out of five, which is like, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, so it was okay. It uh, <laughs> it's real hard like I I want to give this a 3 out of 4 but I really like the final act is never as because I've I've seen this movie before mm -hmm. and like I in my memory it was like yeah it was fine but everybody's got so much love for it that I've, I've been wanting to revisit it and like I, I definitely really like the first act the second act but I think the entire third act is just like not what I want. Yeah, and I love the premise. I love talking about classism and, and experiencing these interpretations of classism in, in film and cinema, and Bong Joon-ho does a, a wonderful job doing it. Like, it's it's clearly something he's very passionate about, Yeah, and you see it in all of his work. And, I mean, he's only getting better at picking away at it and, like, keeping those scabs fresh. Yes. Uh, which I absolutely <laughs> love. But I think maybe you wanted it to be faceless or nameless. Like, it, it can't be, like, a real person. Kind of like the platform. Like, they're, they're fighting against something. Yeah. And there are still people at the top, but you never really meet them. Yeah, and, and you're right, too, because the ending is so a ambiguous in that we only have Wilfred's, what Wilfred is saying to be true. Yeah. And, like, the universe itself, the train, is so compact. So, like, you really have to take what people are telling you either at face value or that they're completely lying. So, like, there is, there is such a hard 
job on you as a viewer as to like how you feel they did at the end. Oh, was the train imploding on itself a good idea? Like, are they saved? Like, who is they? Because nobody we we consider a hero apart from one character makes it out to the end. Yeah, I guess what it comes down to, I guess, like at the very end. Yes, a lot of people die, but <laughs> they were never going to leave the train, so they were always going to die on the train anyway. Mm-hmm. Like if it were up to if if it were up to anybody, and but you know it was up to Chris Evans, they would have stayed on the train until the absolute bitter end, until there was only one person left at the head of the car, uh, and they just rode it off into into oblivion, regardless of whether the outside world became like an easier place to live in or not they would have just always stayed on the train and uh and I, like no matter how few of them make it out i guess it's better that they they get off and they restart and go back to square one and and start again with the real this world this is like noah's ark shit though like <laughs> yeah totally yeah i'm going to give it a 2.5 out of 4 okay <laughs> But that's just our opinion. Let us know what you thought of Train to Busan and Snowpiercer. Which do you think is the more terrifying train? Hit us up. Share your opinions with us over on Twitter at NOFS Podcast. On Instagram at Nightmare on Film Street. We're on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Nightmare on Film Street. Facebook. Do Discord. Do Discord. <laughs> okay, well, first, Facebook.com slash group slash uh, Horror Fiends of NOFS. And on Discord, and which the fastest, quickest way to get there is NOFSpodcast.com slash Discord. If you're a fan of Nightmare on Film Street and you want to support the show and get some fun perks in exchange, we have stickers, there's swag, there's merch discounts, there's exclusive stuff for that Discord channel. Hit up the Fiend Club at nofspodcast.com slash Fiend Club. It's our little club for listeners of the show and fans of Nightmare on Film Street to help us grow and support our endeavors in exchange for all that fun stuff. We got live streams, we got bonus episodes, there's tons of fun stuff that happens every month over there. That is nofspodcast.com slash Fiend Club. Yeah, 30% of your donations go toward the Nightmare on Film Street editorial team who are constantly putting together incredible content over at nofspodcast.com. Please go check it out. Please support them and know that by joining the Fiend Club, you are supporting more than 30 independent horror creators. One last quick reminder, we will be hosting a 24-hour horror movie marathon over at scener.com slash nofspodcast. That is absolutely open and free for you to drop in, watch a movie, chat with us, see us get exhausted. We're going to stay awake and intro every single movie for that 24-hour period. It's yeah, if you're, if you're listening to this on New Year's Eve, we might be live right now. It's from noon Eastern time to noon Eastern time on New Year's Day. So we're going from New Year's Eve to New Year's Day. And we're also giving away prizes in between each movie to members of the Fiend Club. So feel free to join us on the live stream for free. And if you are a member of the Fiend Club or you want to join right now, you can get your name put into a draw to win a bunch of freaky prizes. But that's it for now. Until next time. Until 2021. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 See you next year, fiends. I'm Uh, John. uh, (laughs) (laughs) See you next week, fiends. I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website 
at nofspodcast.com. And while you're at it, check out all of the other spine-tingling shows on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.